Well, hey, traders, my name is Blake Morrow, and today I'm going to be joined by the one and only Michael Brown. We're going to be unpacking, analyzing, and navigating all the big themes, trends, and setups from the wide world of trading. And we're going to be covering all asset classes. So make sure you all stick around for the trade-off. Well, I know you're probably wondering where Westy is, and he's out of town, but good news is we have Mr. Michael Brown, and I didn't even mean for that to rhyme, but it did. Michael, come on into the show. Good to see you. Blake, good to see you, mate. You're a poet, and you didn't know it. As you say, I... Westy's out of town, so he's uh, swapped himself out for a younger, fitter, sharper, more intelligent market mind to take his place on the show this week. But they weren't around, so I'm here instead. <laughs> well, let's just hope he doesn't go back and listen to this recording, but I can tell you he's going to. But did you notice, I mean, I, I haven't worn a tie since I was at a wedding like six months ago. <laughs> I did this because I know you always have a tie on, so I can let you out uh, for me. I appreciate it. You know, 30 seconds into the show, already raising the, the sartorial standards here. And I've, I've got my special tie on as well, my currency code tie that Ooh. I'm wearing today, just for you, Blake. I love it. I'm so glad. <laughs> well, well, Michael, I tell you, today has been a jam-packed day. I, I know we between you and I and our banters behind the scenes, we really haven't had a time to uh, to, to go. <laughs> I mean, we've had We've had so much to do. It's hard to even get through it all, but we're going to make our best uh, shot at it today. I know it's late in the day for you there in the UK, so thanks for hanging out with us, but I think we need to get right into Topical Thunder. What do you say? Indeed, mate. Tons to get into. Well, today, with topic number one, Michael, it was the FOMC. And I think that's what all traders were waiting for. Um, you, you could even see it in the volatility. The couple of days heading into the FOMC, I, I had so many traders that weren't even at their seats, but everybody was around today. Everybody was looking at the market. And I have to say that, you know, after today, I, I want to take a step back and see where we actually stand. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about what the market was anticipating and you could see it in the markets you know you you saw the dollar was slipping you know risk appetite was firm and you could see gold rallying above resistance everybody in my view at least the way that i was seeing things was anticipating that the fed was going to be a little bit dovish you know between um you know the 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 UAW strikes the the rider strikes the student debt repayment that's coming and uh you know possible government shutdown everybody thought maybe the fed's going to be a little bit more dovish it's going to lift risk appetite, dollars going to get sold. But, you know, after today, we had a little bit of a reversal, you know, then then the FOMC actually happened. And I wanted to get your view. How do you feel about the Fed following today's move? Because, you know, from the way I, I took it, and the way that our community was taking it, Powell seemed pretty uh, hawkish. What do you say? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, I'm not entirely sure my view on the Fed is particularly different now to how it was 24, 48 hours ago before we had the statement, the new SEP dots before we had Powell's press conference. I mean, if you just kind of take everything in turn, the, the statement was a non-event. It was just a cut and paste job from July with the, the date changed and also obviously a change because rates remained unchanged rather than, than a hike. But all the commentary, all the guidance pretty much unchanged. 
Powell's presser, again, not really too much of any note in there. Maybe a little bit of a slip up when he cast a little bit of doubt on whether the US can achieve a soft landing. But I think he relatively quickly rode back on, on those comments. I, I guess for me, the, the thing that was really interesting was the dot plot. The fact that the Fed now uh, expect rates in 2024 to be 50 basis points higher than they did uh, at the June meeting when we last saw a projection from them. So that caused a little bit of a market move. You, you now see the first rate cut priced in September next year out from June before the meeting or, or, or July, I think it may have been. Um, so perhaps at the margin, it's a little bit more hawkish on, on that end of the spectrum, a little bit more bullish for the dollar, a little bit bearish for risk assets. But at the end of the day, for me, this just kind of reinforces the idea that the Fed are high for long. And they've been telling us that for, for a while now. Are we going to get another hike? My money's still on a move in November. But I mean, even Powell himself said the macro impact of another hike is limited. And I think markets are, are viewing it through the same lens, in all honesty. Yeah, and and I, I was going to say it's it. They have been saying higher for longer, and they're, they're going to keep rates unchanged for for quite some time. And it does seem like that today, it did resonate a little bit with the market. If you look at the way that the markets closed, and you look at price action, we closed on our lows in the S and P. And there's something hmm. to be said for that, uh, you know, price action because it's like the market is it finally listening. But look, um, you know, the Fed that was only one piece of the puzzle. We have. So many more puzzle pieces that are happening this week. That means we should probably go to the next topic because probably one of the more exciting central banks is coming up next. What do you say? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I, I loathe to use the word exciting in, in the same sentence as the Bank of England, but I think you're probably right. And uh, it's certainly got a lot more exciting over the last, well, today, after the, the inflation figures that we got out of the UK this morning. We, we had a downside surprise on the number at, at long last. Headline inflation coming in, CPI at 6.7% on the year. That's the lowest since February of 2022. Even more good news in terms of the core inflation number coming all the way down to 6 0.2% in August from 6.9% prior. Um, I spoke with our, our mutual friend Dick Matthews earlier, and he was the happiest I've seen him in about 18 months that we finally got some good news in terms of prices. And, and this has really put a cat amongst the pigeons in terms of the, the BOE outlook. I mean, again, if you'd have asked me at the start of the week, we were all sat here going, nailed on 25 basis point hike, it'll be the last of the cycle. And then the old lady is pretty much done and dusted. But now, Markets see a hike as pretty much a coin flip. You've got a 40-ish percent chance that they raise rates by 25 bips on Thursday, obviously a 60% chance that they leave policy on hold. Everyone on the sell side has been running around like a headless chicken trying to uh, revise their calls. Goldman now see the BOE remaining unchanged. I still think they hike, but I mean, in contrast to the Fed, Blake, who were pretty hawkish yesterday, uh, or today, I should say, I really think the BOE are going to be pretty dovish, pretty cautious, and outlining pretty strongly that they are done and dusted after a hike that we get on Thursday. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, Michael, it, it, if you're the Bank of England, do, do you really react off of one good inflation print? I mean, you know, I, I don't know if the, I don't know if if you really can. Um, and I, and I see the quagmire that the that the market's in and also the Bank of England is in as well. And I, I, let me ask your opinion on this, since you and I have never discussed this. Do you believe the Bank of England? Well, I believe and I, I think we, we saw it in a recent panel in Japan, that these central bankers do talk, they, they, they do have lines of communications open to each other. Um, but how likely do you think that the uh, Bank of England and Andrew Bailey is to follow the lead of 
the Fed, especially after seeing that CPI print. Maybe they will just keep rates on hold and and and, and wait for more incoming data. Uh, it's a good question. I think under normal circumstances, I'd say, yeah, there would be a, a degree of, of, of coordination. Um, oh, clearly, what we're dealing with here in the UK is not normal circumstances. I mean, inflation is still three and a half times the BOE's target, and we're all running around popping the champagne and celebrating that the cost of living crisis is, is finally getting better. So uh, I, I think the chances of them following the Fed just purely for the sake of it, are, are a lot lower um, than, than perhaps otherwise would be. Um, I think what I'm really watching from the bank tomorrow is, is not necessarily just the, the rate decision, but it's how they communicate it. What's the guidance that goes along with it? And also the vote split. I mean, coming into to the week, we we're all saying eight of the nine members of the NPC are going to vote for an increase. You can actually make a case for pretty much any split all the way down to, you know, 6-3 in favour of unchanged, all the way up to 8-1 in favour of a hike. It, it really could go either way. And for short-term traders, this is the perfect central bank meeting to, to inject a bit of volatility. You look at uh, overnight implied vol, price is a move of about a big figure up or, up or down. Um, for traders, this is absolute heaven. For strategists trying to call it, it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, well, you know, it's going to be interesting tomorrow. And I, I need to mention this, Michael, um, especially to our viewers here, which is very heavy in, in the Australia-Asia uh, region. Make sure you guys and gals listen to the UK trade-off because Michael and my my colleague, Ryan Littlestone, they are um, they are really good at what they do. Uh, and they, they do. you guys have a phenomenal show. And you are not critical of the Bank of England at all on that show. I have never been critical of the Bank of England in my life. I don't know how I get a straight face. <laughs> the tiredness setting in. <laughs> I don't know how you just said that with a straight face either. All right, well, let's move on to our next topic. And this is a topic that I actually, it's its funny. I was, I was thinking about this even before today's press conference from the FOMC. But I want to talk about the U.S. economy. And I, and I hate making this show so U.S.-centric, but... I, I, you know, no, you love it, really. No, I really don't. Believe it or not, <laughs> I don't. Um, but right now, the question that everybody's asking, because right now, the pillar of strength in the global economy, you could argue is really the US economy at this moment. So everybody's eyes are on the US economy. And the, the, the debate is, are we going to have a soft landing? Are we going to have a hard landing? Are we going to have no landing? And I kind of wanted to know where you sat regarding this. Um, as I just mentioned a couple of topics ago, we have a lot of headwinds coming in uh, that, that are coming um, directly to the to the to, to the U.S. Um, but our labor markets continue to be strong, and at the same time, Powell actually was asked the question about um, uh, soft landing, and he said, "I would not call soft landing a baseline expectation." That's what he actually said mm. in quotes. Then at the press conference, he was asked about that again. He had to he had to backpedal a little bit, as you pointed out, he had a backpedal and he, he kind of clarified what he was talking about. But I, I did want to get your view. Well, how important is the U.S. economy? One, one. And two, do you think that the U.S. could actually avoid a hard landing? I don't personally. I think Ooh. we've been partying for like 13 years on excess monetary loose policy and and it got you know triple that as a kicker through covid and i think that we are going to have a bit of a hangover so that's my view what's yours that 
that's an interesting one. I mean, the, the the view that, you know, the cycle from 08 is still going and COVID just kind of extended it. it, it it's an interesting school of thought and I can see the rationale for it. But personally, I don't think it's necessarily the case. Um, I, I saw a really, really good chart this week. I can't claim any credit for it whatsoever. Uh, Brent Donnelly put it out on Twitter. I think a few others have. And it was all about mortgages. And for me, it just explained why the US economy continues to just confound expectations. Because the rate for a new mortgage in the US, Blake, you'll know this a lot better than me, a 30-year fix in the US is what, six and a half, seven percent 7%, something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And it's just absolutely torn higher over the last 18 months as the Fed have tightened and tightened and tightened. But the effective rate, the rate that people are paying because they locked in mortgages 10 years ago, five years ago, is a lot nearer 3%. And it's actually barely moved this economic cycle. And as a result of that, you've got this really interesting divergence where the Fed are jacking up overnight interest rates, but it's not actually being passed through to the consumer because they've got a 30-year fix at 3%. So you've got a situation where, unlike here in the UK, unlike in Europe, unlike in uh, Australia and a lot of other countries, you haven't got a mortgage cliff. You haven't got this massive issue with refinancing. That means consumers have got a lot more disposable income than they have elsewhere. They've got a cushion, uh, not only against inflation, but now inflation is starting to fade. Um, they can actually go and spend in a, a much more significant manner than you're seeing elsewhere. So I think if the US gets lucky, if a, a few things go their way, if we see a bit of a pickup in China, perhaps, I think a soft landing could be on the cards. But I, I agree with Powell, it's not necessarily a baseline scenario, but there's definitely a, a path to it happening. Yeah, well, you know, then then it, it really, I think it really boils down and it's maybe why the focus has been on the Fed and, and, and maybe other market participants is because it comes all down to the labor market. As long as the labor market stays strong, people don't lose their job. They don't have to, you know, default on their home loans that they are at these ridiculous rates um, and, and, and totally... Understandable. It's a, it's a really really complicated question. Great answer. Thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for your take on that. And I know we need the producers probably going to be yelling. We need to be moving on. So. Well, what do you got for us next? <laughs> I was just to say, before we do move on, it is a complicated question. I really appreciate you throwing it my way at eleven o'clock at night. So. Uh, no hopefully, problem. <laughs> hopefully, I did a decent enough job of answering it. Um, you did. <laughs> we, we probably should move on. And, and I wanted to talk about growth as well, um, because th this week is all about uh, central banks. Obviously, we've moved through the Fed. We've got the, the BOE on Thursday, Swiss National Bank, Riksbank, Norges Bank on Thursday as well. And then the Bank of Japan meeting on, in the early hours of, of Friday morning. Um, but also on Friday, we get the latest PMI numbers. And, and, and this is a really key part of the jigsaw for me, because Probably the biggest theme, for, for me at least, in markets over the last three months or so, maybe even a little bit longer than that, has just been this building theme of US exceptionalism or US economic outperformance. And that's really the, the main building block or foundation upon which the, the dollar's really remarkable bull run over the last uh, over that period has, has been built upon. And I think these PMI numbers are key. We get them for pretty much every global economy. And if you look at the consensus, if you pull up Bloomberg or an economic calendar, the consensus is very much for more of the same, a, a contraction across the board in Europe, worryingly a deeper contraction here in the UK. The, the grim weather that we're having at the moment certainly doesn't help things there. But in the US, we're set to see another relatively healthy pace of expansion in the services sector and on the, the broader composite measure. And I think these gauges are important because 
we're at a point now where the dollar's come a very long way in a very short space of time, and we'll dig into the charts in a second. And I just get the feeling after a little bit of consolidation this week, if we do see some softer than expected PMI figures out of the States on Friday afternoon, dollar bears are just going to pounce on that. And it could really be the first sort of chink in the armor of that US outperformance narrative starting to come through. That's a you know that's a great point. I, I'm I'm I've been so like laser focused on on the German PMIs that have been. I mean we're we're approaching levels that we haven't seen since since the COVID crisis. But before that, if we surpass those levels, then we're talking about levels we haven't seen since the GFC. And mm-hmm. uh, you know that's being Germany the 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 you know growth engine of Europe or the manufacturing engine of Europe rather. You know that's always been something that's concerning. But yeah, you look at our services PMI here in the U.S. They are still expected to come in expansionary. Um, you know numbers above fifty, but we're inching lower towards that uh, that that uh, expansion contraction line. And so I, I think you make a great point. It, the U.S. dollar I do think is very frothy up here, but you know a lot of people also call it the dollar wrecking ball for a reason because you know when the global economy goes into a a bit of a rut you know that you look through your dirty shirt and you're like crap i haven't done laundry you look through your dirty shirts and you're like well i'll just take this one because it doesn't smell quite so bad and that's the u.s dollar and that that might end up being the u.s economy um you know when it's all said and done so i i think if we can if we can see u.s economic data really start to weaken, it will probably put the brakes on the US dollar. And it might actually uh, expose, as you're pointing out, maybe a healthy pullback. But I do believe if uh, if the US does catch a cold, you know, the rest of the world has probably got COVID? Flu? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I make you right. I mean, at the end of the day, we're back to the dollar smile. You know, the dollar appreciates if the US, if US growth is at, is outperforming the rest of the world, or the dollar appreciates when, you know, everything is going to pot and it's, it's finding haven demand. And I just don't see a scenario where we end up in the middle of that smile and other currencies outperform at the moment. But again, I think we're probably out of time. I'm going to get shouted at in a second. We do. We do. And, and before <laughs> before Mr. Michael Brown falls asleep at his keyboard, let's move it along to the best setups that we have found for today. Well, this is weird. Um, I, I, it's weird for a couple of reasons. I get to kick it off today. I, I'm going to start off with the S&P. But, um, Michael, I, I, this is also weird because I wanted to talk about the S&P because I know on your show, you always talk about the S&P. And today well, you didn't. Well- well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I'm actually banned from talking about it now because I, I've mentioned it so much. Ryan now forbids me from ever bringing it up again. <laughs> That's interesting. All right. Well, well, I'm doing this for you then, Ryan. There you go. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm looking at this setup as, a, you know, first of all, if you look at the candle today, it's a Marabuzo closing black candle. That means it's we closed on our lows that's usually a very bearish sign. If you look from a percentage standpoint, we're probably in the you know high 60, low 70 percentile chance that we're going to get follow through to the downside uh, tomorrow. I'm not a statistician, but you know those are numbers based on my experience that we tend to see. I mean, it doesn't mean a, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a gimme, but you know it's not not too far off of that. Um, we are also approaching triangle support, or if you're looking at it as a head and shoulder pattern or a um, a uh, complex head and shoulder pattern. That means this 78% retracement that comes in right around 4380, right around that level, that's going to be pretty key level support. And if that breaks, 
it looks like it it'll, it will open up some downside towards the 200-day moving average, maybe towards some of those extensions. I have to also point out last week, we talked about the Russell 2000 and a head and shoulder pattern that continues to play out to the downside. So not only do we have the S&P, we have all the other middle mid you know mid cap stocks that are moving that way anyway michael um that's my view on the s p it's a setup we're getting close to support how are you seeing the s p here uh, as you say I, I mentioned i used to mention it a lot when i was allowed to on on our on our version of the show um i i really struggle really really struggle to be bearish risk at any time and I'm struggling again now. I, I, I can appreciate what you're saying in, in terms of the, the the technical side of things there, but but there just seems to be a, a desire within the market for for equities to rally. And I think the other thing you've got to consider is is the time of year. We're coming into the fourth quarter of the year. If you look at seasonals, tr- traditionally Q4 is is relatively positive for for U.S. equities. And in terms of bearish catalysts, well, what's out there? I mean, immediately you you would look to to the rates market. Well, you know the the two year yield has moved to its highest level since 2006, and equities don't seem too bothered with the spoos off less than one percent today. So actually, if we do get any dips, particularly down towards that 200-day moving average, if we, if we get that far, which I, I don't think we will, but but if we did, then I'd be scooping those up. Well, there and there you go, and that's why you know it's a setup, and and I and I agree with you, Michael. As far as you know, if you look historically, and you just go, just just go pull your put yourself on a logarithmic chart, go back a hundred years you're going to realize that the markets pretty much go up all the time. That's because there's an insatiable you know, need to buy stocks and retirement and everything else all the time. But markets don't move up straight up or straight down. This is a, this is a setup. We might get a counter trend move, give you bulls, maybe another entry to get long. So what did you bring for us for your first setup, Michael? Absolutely. And the other thing is, if markets did move in a straight line, they'd be pretty damn boring, wouldn't they? Um, they I I want to look at cable. Uh, I thought I'd bring something from Blighty, given where I'm uh, broadcasting the show from. Um, And just bring it back to the point we were talking earlier about the the UK CPI data, because that kicked off a really significant rally in gilt. So obviously, the market suddenly reassessing its policy expectations for the BOE. Um, And you had gilt yields down 15 Ish basis points from two years all the way out to 10, which is probably, and I haven't done the maths on this, three-ish times the, the move that you would typically see um, on a daily basis. So a really, really big move indeed. But what I wanted to do was just relate this to what we're seeing in the treasury market, in the bond market in the United States, because if you look at the spread or the difference between 10-year yields in the UK and 10-year yields in the United States, you can see that that spread is basically zero, if not slightly below zero, um, and at its tightest since March of this year, so in about six or seven months now. And what this means, you can see cable in the, the the orange line there, or the golden line, I guess it is. Um, there is it, it makes the pound relatively less attractive to the dollar if you're looking at, at, at the pair in isolation. And for me, this is just another bearish factor to throw into the mix. If you look, uh, technically, cable is also below it's 200-day moving average. We, we mentioned that a moment ago. We're below 125, which has been a, a psychologically important uh, handle for the pair for, for some time now. And I think it's really, really difficult to see a hawkish um, surprise from the BOE on Thursday. 
ongoing US outperformance, the mortgage cliff coming up as well. I think for me, everything seems to point to further downside. This is just one more factor pointing to downside in cable. I'm looking for 123 in the short term, 120 by year end. But I'm going to caveat that by saying that if the BOE do stick with their higher for longer view, this table mountain rate path, 2024 could be the year of the quid. Whoa, 2024. Well, that means we only have a few more months to go to get it's to 2024. Hey, just uh, just from a technical point of view, the sterling, I, I mean, obviously 123 is pretty key support because those are the lows that we saw um, in, in late May. Um, the head and shoulder pattern, and I know you guys have talked about it. I, I've, I've talked about it on, on in the Forex analytics community. I mean, it, it goes all the way down to about 121 where it completes. The reason why I mention that is because when you get towards uh, technical pattern completions, a lot of orders end up lining up around there. So you get to 121. I, you know, I would say if you're anywhere within a 50 pip radius of, of the 121 level, you probably are starting to look for a, a, a technical bounce because that's where all of the orders are going to be out, all the take profits. Then yeah. plus you got the big round number around 120 that you know you're going to have natural buyers around those levels anyway. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. I mean, 120. If we get to 121, then you know I'm having no complaints as a sterling bear. <laughs> well, you know you've been one and you've been a vocal one on the UK trade off, and you know Chris. I mean, I just called you Chris. Sorry, it's late for me too. By the wow. way, Michael, <laughs> I'm, I'm insulted. <laughs> well, Michael, I was going to say you've been you've been doing well on your on your on your bearish uh, sterling call. So, uh, speaking of uh, the the pound sterling, let's uh, take a look at the euro. I, I like to call it the euro sterling, but I don't live in the UK, and I don't think you like the the, the term sterling, do you? We do. We just don't like it when you put the word the in front of it. The the sterling. Okay, so uh, the so but I could do the euro sterling, right? You can. <laughs> well. <laughs> This is going to be the euro sterling, and I always talk about false breakdowns lead to breakouts, and false breakouts lead to breakdowns. We talked uh, a few weeks ago uh, about this false breakdown in the euro sterling as it was reversing, and now it's above a descending trend line, and it's been that way. And and I'll tell you what, um, you know, with the with the Bank of England tomorrow, this is a setup, obviously. So you know, I'm looking at the horizontal resistance at the 86.72 now. When you look at like double bottoms and then you look for extensions, it's a range extension. So if you take the the distance of the double bottom to where the neckline is, you just you know match that area. You get a you get a you know your move your measured move higher. Very easy, simple cal calculation. That's why it's too simple. Where I don't like to ex extend my targets all the way out there. I like to get out well before it, which happens to be the 200-day moving average, which comes in around the 127% extension. Those are levels where if we did get a breakout to the upside on this setup, might see a move over the course of the next couple of weeks back up to the 200-day moving average. But it looks pretty vulnerable. Sterling does. Uh, like, Michael, you were talking about the pound sterling looks a little, uh, uh, oh, did I say the pound sterling yeah. looks a little weak. So what do you think about the euro sterling here? Oh, God, this is like trying to pick the lesser of two evils, this one, isn't it? I mean, there's not really much going for for either of them. And, you know, if, if ever I say I'm bullish euro, I feel like I need to go and wash my mouth out with, with soapy water. But, you know, purely on a <laughs> purely on a technical basis, you know, as, as you can see there, we've, we've broken above this descending trend line. It, it does look like the euro bulls have, have finally managed to, to wrestle control of things here. And, and I guess if, if you were looking to be long euro, I mean, I mean first 
why. Uh, but secondly, if, if you were looking to, to take on that position, you'd need to be doing so against uh, a currency or a, a, an economy that has relatively worse prospects than the Eurozone. And although it pains me to say it, um, I think the, the UK might be the prime contender there, given the, the issues we're going to have coming up with remortgaging as, as we move through into the autumn and, and winter and early part of next year. So it pains me to say it, mate, but but I agree with you. I think a little bit more upside could be on the cards there. Oh wow! Well, I'm 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 uh, I'm happy to have brought that set up to you. So, what's your last setup that you have for us? Well, Blake, I, I brought this one especially for you, mate, because uh, uh, rumor has it you are the world's biggest fan of Fibonacci retracements. So I thought I would bring you a little present along this week, mate. Um, we're looking at the dollar index here, and as it says below, the, the buck has got a bit stuck. Um, see, the poetry's catching. Um, the, the dollar <laughs> index has been between the, the, the 104.5 and, and, and 105.5 levels for the last week, 10 days now. And uh, as we alluded to earlier, we've had nine straight weeks of gains. That's the dollar's best run or the dollar index's best run since 2014. If you look at euro dollar, it's actually the euro's worst run on record now, such has been the, the degree of dollar strength. So as a dollar bull, I'm not really too, well, too surprised or too disheartened by the fact that we're having this period of consolidation, because actually, in order to build a more sustained rally, that's what you want to see. If anything just goes in a straight line forever, that's when things start becoming a little bit vulnerable to pushbacks. So above this 104.50 level, I'm happy to, to be buying into dips on a, a short-term basis. On a slightly more medium-term basis, that big chunk of moving averages that you've got around 103 is is the level that I'd be looking to, to buy into dips. If we break below that, then I'd start to, to reassess the, the long dollar view. But then to the upside, you really start looking, well, well what's there? Well, firstly, you've got the, the cycle highs around 105.90. I think that's the, the first target on the horizon. Maybe we're going to have to wait even for the next payrolls number to, to get a bit of a push there, given that the Fed weren't able to do the job today. But above that, then what do we look for? Well, we look for Blake's favorite 50% retracement of the uh, decline that we saw between Q3 last year and Q3 this year. And that comes in around 107.20. And that's the sort of region I could see us trading at um, over the next kind of six to eight weeks. Well, you know, I'm glad, so glad, Michael, because I would have had to jump through this uh, this this uh, this camera uh, here today that you didn't say 50% Fibonacci. I was going to go, ah, you know, but but you didn't. So that's good. Now, the 38% retracement, as you as you can see there on your Bloomberg chart, it is capping the rally right around the 105.50 level. So the Fib, you know, the 38% the retracement is so key because that um, usually is the determination of whether we get a resumption of trend or it starts. you start to see a bigger retracement in the market. Great chart. Glad you brought up Fibonacci's. I could speak all day about Fibonacci's. Did you know you can find Fibonacci's in seashells as well, Chris? I, you know. <laughs> Again. <laughs> hey, can, uh, can we guys, have a dollar to charity every time you do that? <laughs> every, hey, before we move along to our, our play of the days, I do want to mention uh, for the folks at home, Please jump in the comments down below. Let us know if there's a, a currency, an index, even an individual stock, anything that you want to see, you want us to comment on and bring it as a, as a setup to our next show. Jump down below in the comments. Leave them for Michael or myself. Uh, although Westy will be back. Don't worry about that either. But let's go see what Michael brought for his play of the day.
All right, Michael. Well, it, again, it's weird for me. I get to go first, but I enjoy it. So uh, my play of the day is going to be the Aussie yen. And the reason why I'm bringing up the Aussie yen is because, uh, again, false breakout today. Did we post a false breakout? Potentially. Um, it's right around the 618 key Fibonacci. I call it the golden fib. Uh, we kind of failed up there against some highs, but we have the BOJ that's coming in at the end of the week, as you pointed out earlier, it's gonna be Friday, uh, Friday morning or Thursday night for those of us in the US. Uh, if you're in the UK, it's gonna be really, really early on uh, on Friday. But um, the BOJ, even though they're not expected to uh, to make any any changes to YCC or, 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 or rates, um, there's, a good, there's a good chance that there could be some some, you know, maybe some more hawkish or, or or very hawkish talk about changing monetary policy. So therefore, I'm just showing you the, the Aussie N. I already started getting in this position on the short side today. I don't want it to breach today's highs. And as long as we stay below that 96 yen level, I'm looking to a fade back to the 200-day moving average or the 50 DMA rather. And that's going to be my play of the day, the Aussie N. What did you bring today, Michael Brown? Good stuff, Blake. Uh, I was going to say, if you're in the UK, uh, I think the most sensible thing to do around the BOJ is just to stay in bed, uh, in all honesty. Um, I'm looking at uh, crude, WTI to be particular. I, I was long footsie in my play of the day on, on our UK version of this show on Monday, and that seems to be working well enough so far. Touch wood, I don't want to jinx things. So let's see if we can repeat the trick on that one. Um, I've been looking at crude for a while. I mean, we're obviously up 30-odd percent from the lows that we saw in the summer, and there's a lot still working in the bull's favour. So this little dip that we've had, off the highs around 93.60, back down to the $90 a barrel handle on WTI. It's a, a dip that I'd be looking to, to buy into because, as I said, there's a lot working in favor of long crude. You've got the uh, Saudis and OPEC Plus desperate to tighten up supply. You've also got uh, weather issues and geopolitical uh, tensions that are still unsolved and also some tentative signs the demand is starting to come back as I think we might just be getting towards peak pessimism in terms of China. And we haven't had a chance to, to dig into that on the show this week. So my play of the day is to be long crude. If we get below 87.75, then I'm wrong. Ultimately, I'm looking for a retest to the recent highs. And then after that, I think we could get to that magic $100 a barrel handle at some point relatively soon. Um, you can play it in FX if you like. I think the Canadian dollar is probably the best way to do it, um, given the BOC might hike in October. Uh, the Noki, which traditionally has a close correlation with oil, uh, is being beaten up all over the place with the Norges Bank selling the currency relentlessly. So I wouldn't be touching that. But let's keep it simple and just go long WTI. Well, Michael, I must say it has been my pleasure. And I, I know I can speak on the behalf of the, uh, the, the trade-off Australian crew. We've really enjoyed having you here. Don't be a stranger. Come back. I, I know. I know. It's. Uh, I know. It's really late at night for you. But I'm sure all the viewers are going to get down below. Mention in the comments how much you enjoyed having Michael here. Make sure you give him a big thumbs up for being up so late. And uh, Michael Brown, you take care. We're going to catch you on the UK trade off. Indeed. Thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I, I've uh, very much enjoyed it, and hope the viewers have too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you jump in those comments down below. Let us know those trade ups you want trade trade setups you want to see as well. And I want to thank you all for being here with us today. Don't worry, Westy is coming back. So we'll see you on the next trade-off.